0: Section 44 of From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse, Edited by Olive Bupri Miller. The Exile of Rama. Retold from the Ramayana, the Sacred Poem of India. In the midst of the pleasant plain, above the waving green mango trees, arose the walls and stately towers, the gilded turrets, battlements and spires, of fair Iodia, ancient capital of King Dasarasa, and the children of the sun. Now this great king had led a life of virtue and valor. Yet, though he had three queens, he had no son to follow him on the throne. So when his years were many, he besought of heaven a worthy heir to take his place, to rule his people wisely and guard them well. In answer to his prayer, there came not one fine son, but four, Rama, eldest born, son of the queen Kusalya, a babe as lovely as a star, so bright that every torch grew dim before him in the chamber of the queen. Bahrat, the second son, beautiful and meek and mild, child of the queen Kekir, and Lakshman and his twin brother, sons of the youngest queen. Nursed with care, these babes grew into fair, strong youths, filling their father's heart with joy, and he lived in such sweet comradeship with them that he seemed no father but an elder brother to them all. Modest were the princes, and in them all the virtues blended. They loved each other as brothers ever should, and roamed the palace grounds together in sweet accord. Rama and Lakshman were always side by side each prince rendered unto the other's mother such reverence and affection as to his own and not one of all three queens but loved the sons of her sister consort as dearly as her own so the father's bosom glowed with the joy and pride for the rare virtues of his sons and the love they showed to one another but best and noblest of the four Lord of all virtues, in whom all peerless graces dwelt, the king's chief glory was his eldest child, young Rama. For he was gallant, beautiful and strong, void of all envy and the thought of wrong. With gentle grace to man and child he spoke, nor could he churl his harsh reply provoke. He paid due honor to the good and sage, renowned for virtue and revered for age, just, pure, and prudent, full of tender truth, the foe of falsehood and the friend of truth. Kind, slow to anger, prompt at misery's call, he loved the people and was loved of all. The years passed by for those four brothers, and their father and mothers, in joy and happiness, and Rama, through strong courage, won to wife, the fairest maid beneath the heavens, sweet Sita, rose of women, with whom he lived in tenderest affection. Then came a time when there arose in the monarch's breast a longing to lay aside the duties he had borne so long, and make his beloved Rama regent heir, giving over to his hands the reins of government. When he made known his wish unto the people, there arose from all such shouts of loud acclaim as shook the very palace with the storm of sound. How often had Prince Rama passing through the ample city streets upon his stately elephant, or in his gold-duck chariot, bent to greet the townsmen as his beloved friends, asking how each one fared, how thrived his wife and babes and servants! And so those townsmen loved him with exceeding great devotion. Joyous preparations were begun at once to consecrate lord rama regent in his father's stead but now though rama was his father's best beloved son the lovely queen keke mother of Bharat, was the king's most cherished wife a princely palace he had built this favorite queen with many a little balcony that overhung fair gardens where trees were ever glowing with fruit, where all was bright with vivid oriental flowers, and gay flamingoes stalked midst swans and cranes and peacocks spreading gorgeous jeweled trains. From the roof of this splendid palace, Keke's little hunchback maid looked out over the, all the town and saw its temples gleaming white, its palaces, its gay bazaars, arrayed as if for holiday, with pennants flying in the scented air, and a concert of glad music rising on the breeze. Learning that the cause of all this festive array was that Prince Rama, son of Queen Kuselia, was to be proclaimed the regent heir, she ran in furious haste to where her mistress lay asleep up up my queen arise she cried great peril threatens thee thy lord will make prince rama regent over all the land then will all wealth and honor be given to queen kuselia and thou wilt be despised all power will be prince rama's and how sad will be the fate of thy dear son prince baharat but keke only rose delighted with the news i rejoice that rama shares his father's throne she cried "Cuselia's son is ever as dear to me as my own child he hath ever good and kind meek to his mother and meeker still to me what difference though he rule there is no cause for fear his brethren are as dear to him as his own soul But the crooked-backed maid, burning with jealous envy, so urged her point, that at last she poisoned Queen Kekia's mind, and there flamed within her but one single thought, to make the king, her husband, name her son, Prince Bharat, regent in the place of Rama, and send beloved Rama into exile in the woods. Then the evil-minded maid, eager to work her will reminded the jealous queen how she had once tenderly nursed her husband of a wound received in battle and he out of love and gratitude had sworn to grant her any two request, a vow so deeply sacred no true hindu would ever dare to break ask that he name thy baharat regent said the maid and sends Rama into exile far within the woods. Now Prince Bharat was from home just then, attending at an uncle's court, and his mother took upon herself alone the full responsibility for his fate. Casting aside her splendid robes and jewels, She dressed herself in mourning garments, and threw herself upon the floor in a mean and wretched little chamber, there awaiting her husband in pretended agony and woe. Slow and majestic, as the moon gliding in glory across the calm fields of the autumn sky, passed King Dasaratha to his darling's palace. Not finding her awaiting him at the usual place, where she was wont to gladden his eyes by sight of her at that hour, he anxiously sought news of her from her maids. Being by them informed where she had taken herself, he passed on to the mean and wretched chamber, and there found her prostrate on the ground, anxious to soothe her grief he knelt beside her and tried many kind caresses coaxing her to tell him what moved her to such sorrow seizing her chance the queen reminded him of his promise long since given when she had nursed him of his wound and bade him now swear to grant her two requests betrayed by his great love the king leapt like a deer into the snare she laid with a fond smile, he placed his hand beneath his darling's head and raised her up, then solemnly swore to grant her any two requests, reminding her that no one on the earth was dearer to him than she, save only Rama. "'This solemn pomp that thou hast begun in Rama's honor, she cried, "'give over to Baharat!' Consecrate my son, and send thy Rama, banished for fourteen years, into the distant forest. Struck dumb with horror at her words, the king spoke not a word at first. The while there dawned upon him all the meaning of the boon she asked, the deep-laid scheme by which she had entrapped him. Then, in his indignation, he burst forth. The world may love without the sun, As I without my Rama. Take Rama from me, and what is life then worth to me? How couldst thou scheme so foul a plot? What hath my Rama ever done to thee? Hast thou not often held him as a babe upon thy knee, And when he smiled sworn he was as dear to thee as thine own son? Has he not shown thee sunlike love and sweet obedience? O oh, wife, have mercy on my bitter cry. Take all my treasures, but leave my Rama here with me. No thrill of pity stirred the soul of that envy hardened queen. She still claimed stubbornly fulfillment of the oath. The whole long dreary night the unhappy king spent in entreaty, searching out a way to touch her heart. He could not move her from her purpose. So dawned the morning of the day that had been set aside for Rama's consecration, and that noble youth, summoned from his beloved Sita's side to seek his father, entered the chamber where the king and queen Keke lingered. Reverently Rama bowed to greet his royal sire, and then, as reverent, did obeisance at Keke's feet. The king, with downcast eyes, that brimmed with tears, could only murmur, Rama, and then say no more. The youth beholding what a change the knight had wrought in his dear father, and seeing him thus weeping, and unstrung was pierced with sorrow, and turning to Kekel, asked her courteously the cause for such a change. That greedy dame, lost now to shame, told the whole matter to the prince how the king, his father, had taken most solemn oath to grant her two requests, yet now would shamefully refuse to keep his word because the boons she asked meant that her Bharat should be regent, and he, Rama, sent off for fourteen years into exile. No angry word, no sharp reproof passed Rama's gentle lips. At once he said, Fear not, O lady, my father's faith shall never be pledged in vain. If he hath promised I will go, Harold shall summon Bharat home to take my place as regent, and I will don the hermit's garb and fare forth to the forest. One duty I hold above all others, that a son should ever serve and be obedient to his father. Then he gently stooped to comfort his beloved father, who in speechless woe had heard his words. With reverent farewell he left the bower where Queen Kekir sat exulting in her triumph, and went to pay one last sad visit to his own beloved mother. As he passed along the streets he saw the signs of joy, no more for him. And all the sacred vessels arranged for that great day, the golden chalices, Whose water poured upon his head Would have ordained him lord. He saw and did not turn his eye away. His glance betrayed no anguish, His foot no haste. Still on his brow, though his high hopes were dead, shone that great glory that was all his own. He found his mother in linen robes of purest white, Intent on holy rites for she was of more serious mood than lotus-eyed Kekel, But when she heard his news, how hope of being regent was no more for him, but exile in the distant forest in its place, she wept in black despair, and none could comfort her. Then came the faithful brother, Lakshman, devoted to Prince Rama, and in anger cried that he would set his Rama on the throne by force if Rama would permit, for what had come to pass was all unfair. With streaming eyes the mother too begged Rama to give heed to Lakshman's counsel. Forgive me, mother, said the hero gently. I have no power to disobey my father. See me at thy honored feet. And give me now thy blessing, for I needs must go." So forced at last, Cuselia let him go. May virtue be thy sure defense, she cried. Thy tender love and meek obedience, like a mystic charm, will arm thy soul. My Rama, go forth, my son, my pride and glory, go. Then Rama fell upon his knees before her, pressed her dear feet, and said his last farewell. With Lakshman still beside him, he turned his anxious steps toward his own home. The hardest trial of all remained before him still, to take his leave of his beloved Sita. As he passed through his stately halls, his eye was drooping and his brow was overcast. Want as he was to curb each passion with firm control, He yet could scarcely bear within his own strong bosom The load of anguish that was heavy there. Quick to trace the sorrow on his face, Sweet Sita cried, What ails thee, O my lord? This happy day should see thee joyful. All but thou are gay, Why does no royal canopy, like foam, For its white beauty, shade thee to thy home? Where are the tuneful bards thy deeds to sing? Where are the fans that wave before the king? Why doth the city send no merry throng To bring thee home with melody and song? Why doth no gilded car thy triumph lead? With four brave horses of the swiftest breed. No favored elephant preceded the crowd, Like a black mountain or a thunder-cloud. No herald march in front of thee To hold the previous burthen of thy throne of gold. If thou be king ordained this day, Then why this sorry plight pale cheek and gloomy eye thus sita questioned in her wild suspense and rama told her gently all the tale how there was no anointing for him how forced by duty's higher law he must go forth to exile leaving her and all he loved behind be firm and strong dear wife when i am gone he said And ever serve with tender care the king, my father. Be dutiful unto Borat too, since he will rule, And never vex him. Cheer my beloved mother, And show love to all the consort queens. They are my mother's, even as my own. Be ever gentle, humble, and content. But Sita answered, modest and yet firm, the wife's fit place is by the husband's side i spurn the terrace and the pleasant seat at ease in palaces when thou must face the hardships of the woods if thou wilt go then i will go too no heaven is anywhere for me if thou art gone lost in deep thought the hero stood yet still he feared to lead his tender flower into the rough and fearsome forests life in the woods is naught but grief and pain he urged there the lion roars in his rocky cave the tiger stalks abroad and everywhere wild beasts in ambush lie within the streams ferocious crocodiles lie hid and oft wild elephants rush forth, while on the gale comes borne the wolf's long howl. The homeless wretch, clad in a rough and untrimmed cloak of bark, must wander through a wilderness of sand and thorn, and sleep upon the ground. Enough, dear love, a life like that is not for thee. Stay home, my Sita, and be happy here. But Sita spoke once more with weeping eyes. The woe, the terror, all the toil and pain Will but be joy to me, joined with thy love. O let me go! Whate'er I may endure, following thee Will only make my soul more pure. Fear not for me, O my Rama, let me go! and with a bitter cry she flung her arms round Rama's neck and clung there till he gave her leave to go. I knew not love the strength of thy fond heart, he said. Not now shall ever part me from my wife. Then Lakshman's eyes began to overflow with generous tears. Fondly caressing his brother's feet, he said, If thy purpose then is changeless, I, too, will follow thee, nor ever leave thee." Rama sought in vain to urge his brother to remain behind. That true and faithful friend would not yield his intent. So the royal three, Rama, and his true wife, Sita, and Lakshman, faithful to the end, walked for the last time to the palace to see the aged king. Through crowds that filled each street and balcony, each portico and roof, they passed, and pity moved the hearts of all to see the high-born princess and the kingly youths so humbly walking in the way. Loud from their loving hearts the people called to Rama to remain and be their king. Firm in duty he heeded not their words, but passed on to the palace. Surrounded by his queens and ladies of his court, the king stood waiting. When his two sons with Sita came within the hall, the wretched father fell prostrate to the ground, and all the mighty hall was rent by one great wail. Mid the silver sound of tinkling ornaments that bound their wrists, a thousand women in one lament cried, Rama, Rama! Still no complaint the noble Rama made. He comforted his father and spoke soothingly to all. Let chariots, elephants, horsemen, all my treasures, follow in Lord Rama's train to ease his exile, cried the king. But Rama answered, all that, the host, the riches, and the pomp, would be quite useless to me, sire, for I have left the world and all its false desires, its pride and cares behind. I shall lead within the wilderness the hermit's life of sweet simplicity." Then Queen Keke, with unblushing brow, handed out with her own hands the rough bark mantles to the three. Removing their fine garments, Rama and Lakshman donned at once the hermit's dress, but tender Sita in her flowing silks, eyed the strange garments trembling. Nestling close to her Rama's side, she begged him in her soft, low, faltering accents to help her put it on. With his own hands, Lord Rama fastened it, but over her silks, not next to her tender skin. Then the rose of woman took her seat in the sun-bright car the king had waiting. Rama and Lakshman sprang in by her side, and bearing with them naught save only a basket bound in hide and a husbandman's hoe. They left the city, crowds following their chariot, weeping and lamenting. Last sight of all Lord Rama saw his father, grief-stricken, on the ground, and with him his sad mother and her train and his last look of love and grief was in the eyes of that beloved mother. Riding thus, the exiles came by night, where the dark river Jumne pours her tributary tide with kissing waves into the Ganges' crystal flood. There beneath a spreading banyan tree they spent the night, and in the morning built a raft, by means of which they crossed the sacred stream. From there Lord Rama watched the faithful subjects who had followed him to the Ganges, sadly wandering homeward on the far bank of the river. Then with Sita bidden always to walk between him and his brother, so they too might guard her from all harm, he plunged into the forest. In single file they marched through the wonderful tropical jungle, amidst a wealth of vivid flowers, Beneath huge trees where brilliant birds made music, And chattering monkeys leapt from limb to limb. And so they came at last, Where that vast mountain, Chitrakuta, Tinged with a thousand dyes, Lifts his summit to the sky. while all about him higher peaks ascend. So beautiful was that spot, that beholding it, Lord Rama's soul was filled with deep content, And he cried unto his comrades, See, waving in the western wind, The light leaves of the tamarind, The mark that giant peepful threw, Those feathery clumps of tall bamboo, That depth of shade, that open lawn, Allure the wood nymph and the fawn, And where those grassy glades extend, The spirits of the air descend To while the summer night away With dalliance in mirth and play Look from the mountain's woody head Hangs many a stream like silver thread Till gathering strength each rapid rill Leaps lightly laughing down the hill Then bounding o'er the rocky wall Flashes the foamy waterfall Thrilled with the joy of that wonderful spot, the exiles went on a little further, till below them they saw a beautiful river, a glorious limpid stream. On its shelving bank, there early bathing done, stood a company of hermits lifting reverent hands in prayer. There, said Lord Rama, we will make our home. So the exiles joined that colony of simple souls whose days were passed in sacred study, who sought to work not, speak not, think not sin. There Rama and Prince Lakshman built a rustic bower for Sita, and in that spot they three dwelt long in mutual love and tenderness. In the gentle stream sweet Sita often bathed and plucked red lilies for her hair. Then in some green and grassy glade, She and Lord Rama took their fill of gazing on the landscape, watching now the bright flamingos with their rosy wings, and now the swans and herons on the stream below, or troops of deer come gently to the banks to drink. Rama and Lakshman gathered fruit for food, and brought in trophies of the chase, while Sita with gay cheerfulness prepared and cooked thus in simple joy the time passed until it chanced one day that one among the hermits brought disturbing news of a great multitude seen marching through the forest toward the hermitage climbing quickly to the tipmost top of a giant tree lakshman beheld a long procession winding through the woods in great excitement he descended to the ground and cried "O rama I doubt not that this is Bahrat come to finish his envious mother's work, and put thee by force out of his way for ever. Beware!" Gently Lord Rama rebuked his brother, for it was not in his heart ever to think evil of another. "'Nay, my dear Lakshman,' he replied, "'that cannot be, if Bahrat comes at all he comes to do us good with some most loving purpose in his heart and so when the long train drew near lord rama greeted Bharat with the tenderest affection while lakshman stood half scowling and suspicious by but Bharat flung himself before lord rama's feet with bitter tears dear brother he said on my return from visiting our uncle, how shocked was I to hear what in my absence had been done, how my poor mother, deluded quite, had forced our father to name me regent in thy stead, and drive thee into exile. And now, O Rama, out of grief for thee, our father, alas, is dead, thy mother has best comfort in his latest hours. And I, my lord and king, will never take thy place. Return, dear brother, to thy right and reign in fair Iodia." Overcome at first with grief at hearing of his father's death, Lord Rama made no answer, but at last he said, Nay, brother, what are pomp and wealth and pride of place? Tis virtue only marks the line between the great good, the low and mean. I promised for full fourteen years to stay in exile. Shall I then break my oath and prove untrue unto my holy promise, when truth is root and spring of every virtue? Misled by false desire for power and might, shall I despise that holy gem of truth attracted by an earthly prize? Nay, brother, urge this plea no more. I still will keep my oath nor leave this forest till the fourteen years are past do thou return and act as regent of the realm and this i promise thee i will not live my years of banishment in idleness but will spend them so that they shall shower rich blessings on my people in vain bharat entreated rama stood steadfast in his purpose then Bharat, bending to embrace his brother's feet, besought of him his golden sandals, crying, If thou thyself wilt not return, and I must be the regent in thy stead, Then will I never th- sit upon the throne. Thy sandals only shall occupy that royal seat beneath the white umbrella of the king. Baharat will rule in Rama's name. With utmost generosity and love those brothers said farewell, and the gorgeous train with Bharat at its head slowly wended once again its way through the forest paths to fair Ayodhya. And there, for fourteen years, by Bharat's will, the sandals of Lord Rama occupied the throne beneath the white umbrella, and all men did homage to those sandals nor was Bharat tempted once within his soul to prove untrue unto his elder brother. As to Rama in the forest, he rose up in all the might of noble manhood and sought out, through toil and long difficult adventure, the source and wellspring of all evil in the world, that impious demon Ravan, who defied the Lord of Lords, and in all the hosts of heaven, him rama slew and so indeed through his long years of self-forgetful exile brought deliverance to his people but when the fourteen years were up with lakshman and sweet sita rose of women he returned once more unto Iodia, and there midst loud rejoicing of his people took at last his rightful seat upon the golden throne beneath the regal white umbrella that served only for the king. End of section 44